third down and 20. What is going on? Welcome back. Episode 50, third and 20 podcast. My name is Frank Entisle. We got the main man himself, Mr. Steed. Steed, how are you doing today? Doing pretty solid. Uh, ready for the Hawks game tonight and ready to talk some football right now. Yeah, Hawks playoffs. Dude, all of my friends are Knicks and Hawks fans, so that game is getting a little a little crazy. It's getting dicey. Yeah, battle between yeah, the friends. Yeah, game um, one was pretty nice. So we got a fun little episode here. Episode 50 figured might as well do a film analysis for episode 50. JT in the chat saying milestone episode. That indeed it is. So big five oh. Yeah, the big five oh, big five oh. You know, it's crazy. We didn't think didn't really expect, I guess, to, to make it to fifty, but here we are, already fifty weeks in. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? We have Jalen Hurts film analysis. So Jalen Hurts right now is probably one of the most polarizing questionable quarterbacks, aside from like the rookie quarterbacks that just got drafted. This is a dude that he only played a handful of games last year, but the impact that he had on the Eagles offense was pretty tremendous. It was almost night and day from when Carson Wentz was the starting quarterback. Carson Wentz, who in 2017 and 2019 was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, a, a consensus top 10 quarterback. And then all of a sudden he comes out 2020, they really struggle. And they put in the second round pick Jalen Hurts that everyone had questions about when they drafted him. And now he's all of a sudden been launched to be the starting quarterback in 2021. It's been a, a roller coaster of a career in general for Jalen Hurts. So why not do a film analysis on whether we think he can be the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles? So we're going to start off with the pros. My first pro for Jalen Hurts. I was really impressed with how he did in pressure downs and pressure situations when he was just kind of thrown in in a COVID year to being the starting quarterback for this football team. We have a fourth and two. This is his first ever start. This is actually in, in his second ever starting NFL quarter. And you're going to get the uh, the Saints in a cover zero look here. So they're going to just going to be rushing all these guys. All these linebackers are coming. So Jalen Hurts, as a young player, has a decision to make. He, he needs to decide where he wants this ball to go and get the ball out. Because Jalen Hurts is athletic, but he's not athletic enough to, to just run around a free rusher with one-on-one -on -one blocking across the board. So he just makes a decision and throws a perfect back shoulder pass to his boy Alshon Jeffrey. And this really impressed me. <laughs> this is a fantastic throw. He takes a lick, right? You can see from the, from the back angle here, he gets rocked. But he stands in the pocket, stands strong makes a perfect throw. Really nice to see from a young quarterback, honestly. Yeah, I think that's also where you see where another pro for Jalen Hurts is just kind of his mental toughness right now to take that hit and, you know, still deliver the throw on time as well. Yeah, just mentally speaking, I thought that Jalen Hurts was, like, much farther ahead of a lot of other quarterbacks. So here's another example of a nice pressure down. This is a third and one late third quarter against the Cardinals. And this is an interesting scenario because it's third and one. You're at your own 30 yard line, own 29 yard line to be more specific. You're down six. 
five minutes, four minutes left in the third quarter. So this is a scenario where if you don't get this first down, you can't go for it. You're not going to give Kyler Murray and the Cardinals a short field where a field goal makes it a two-score game. And you really don't want to give their their special teams a chance to get a punt return and have the ball at the 30, 40-yard line, all of a sudden two first downs, and they're they're going to put the ball between the uh, between the uprights, and then it's a two-score mm-hmm. game again, right? You, they got Kyler Murray, one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL. So this is like a very – we really want this first down scenario. So what they're going to do is they're going to run a rub route. They're going to motion Goddard across and just rub him. Now what happens, as I'll get the play rolling here, is that Isaiah Simmons, you see him creep up to the to the line here. They're overloaded. The, the Cardinals are going to be rushing three on this right side, and no one accounts for Isaiah Simmons. And you can see that Isaiah Simmons is going to get here before Dallas Goddard has a chance to get actually past this rub, right? He can't anticipate this throw. It's going to be too early. The timing's not there. So Jalen Hurts has this beautiful shoulder dip, escape Isaiah Simmons, make a play to Dallas Goddard for a first down. Like He looks like a veteran on a lot of these plays. This is his third start or second start, one of the two. I think it's his second ever start. And he's making plays like this late in the game on third down. It's really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, he just shows, like, in special plays like that, the upside that he could bring to the table. You give him 16 starts in a season. Or 17 now. Yeah, lastly, here's the second quarter. Early in the second quarter. This is a fourth down and three in the red zone. There's nothing there on this quick out, right? We go back real quick. This is perfectly covered by the Cardinals. There's nothing here, but he just does a great job keeping the play alive, finds Greg Ward in the end zone, touchdown on fourth and three. Like, Jalen Hurts, when he was elevated to the starting quarterback of this offense, gave this team new life on these two-point conversions and fourth down scenarios. This is a team that, when they won the Super Bowl in 2017, was one of the best two-point conversion, fourth, fourth and short teams in the NFL. And then they kind of they kept that identity. The data analytics says, hey, we, we should be an aggressive team. And then you saw for a large part of the season, they were one of the worst teams at it. They, they couldn't convert these, these fourth and thirds and, and two-point conversions, short yardage scenarios to save their lives. But then once Jalen Hurts was the quarterback, it was new life to this team. All of a sudden, when they were asking Jalen Hurts to make plays on these, uh, on these different scenarios, he was actually converting them. And one of the reasons why, like we saw in that last play, was how good he was at off-script plays and extending plays. So you're going to see here, here's an example where Jalen Hurts just extends a play. Something that Carson Wentz kind of struggled with. He's just going to extend this play here, escape the pocket. So they have almost like this, this smash, this extended smash, more like a four verticals where you have this number three, taking this middle high safety, another seam, and then this, instead of this this number one going vertical, you have him stopping up at the sticks, which is really putting this top corner, this corner in the top right in a bind. Does he want to go with this vertical deep or just leave you know, his guy wide open right at the first down marker? And this is in part caused because Jalen Hurts extends this play with his legs, escaping the pocket, and stretches these zones – and Zach Ertz just ends up being wide open down the field. 
He also does a really good job of keeping his eyes downfield when he is scrambling. He's not just looking for the run. He is very much looking for the throw downfield and putting defenders in conflict scenarios. And then also, just as everyone has probably watched, you didn't need to watch the All-22 to see this, just his running ability. You can see on this play, I missed it, on this play here, they're running man coverage, and there is no one open. You can look at every receiver you want to. There's nowhere to go with this football. But the C's part up front, Jalen Hurts basically just gets a walk-in touchdown. I mean, you see this time and time again where teams want to play man coverage. They had a ton of success playing man coverage against the Eagles receivers earlier in the season. But when Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback, when you play man, you got backs turned and you're giving him space to to run with the football down the field. And he was gashing teams over and over and over. He averaged 69 yards per game as a quarterback running the football. Yeah. So you can ask and say, well, why didn't they just sit in a spy? Well, here's an example of why you didn't really want to just sit in a spy. So you see the Cowboys, they have this spy right here, only rushing three. But what happens is you're just going to leave a hole in the middle of the field because one thing that Jalen Hurts does well is that he doesn't necessarily rely on the run, A, and B, he doesn't really have a tendency when he runs the football. He's not the kind of guy that, oh, well, he's always trying to bounce outside of the tackle to his right or trying to go through the B-gap to his left. He, he does a really good job of he's going to escape the pocket taking what the defense gives him. If they spy, well, he's not going to try and extend past the line of scrimmage. He's just going to either sit in the pocket or, you know, float through here and back and not letting the sp- not playing into the spy. He does a really good job of that. So defensive coordinators, you're kind of giving them fits, deciding, well, how are we going to stop Jalen Hurts using his legs? Because he's very comfortable going back, forward, side to side, A-gap, B-gap, backward, all these different directions. There's not really like a set formula to say, okay, we're just going to do a tackle and stunt and make sure he doesn't bounce outside of the tackles because he's he's very good at just finding the hole in your pass rush and exploiting that hole. And he's very cool, calm, and collected when doing it and keeps his eyes downfield. So there's not yeah, that, really like a, a formula to stop it. Yeah, like if you compare him to as a runner to Cam Newton, I think it like in the open field also, he's just a little bit quicker. And I think that's also what makes him variable, very valuable in the running game. So yeah, rushing attack. You you can tell how valuable he is in that running game now that you mention it, because with with Carson Wentz as the starting quarterback, they averaged 116.25 yards per game. That's like I think a mm-hmm. little bit below average. Maybe it's just about average in the NFL. It's not terrible, but it's not great. With Jalen Hurts as a starting quarterback, they averaged 171.3 yards per game which would have been second in the NFL to the Baltimore Ravens and ahead of the Titans who had a 2,000-yard running back, right? Yeah. That's a 55-yard difference. That's a massive difference. So part of that was because of Jalen Hurts' skill set, and the other part of that is how this coaching staff would use Jalen Hurts, which was really great. So here's an example of a play that I really liked. This is going to be a play action here to Boston Scott. This is week 17. And you have a an RPO here with Jalen Hurts. They try to get this rub with, with I think this is Goddard here. So this is an interesting play. It's an interesting take on the RPO because 
They have the rub, but you can still throw the ball in this little hole to Greg Ward if everyone just flows over the top to try and stop Hurts. You have Goddard in the flat in, in you know this one, and then he turns this upfield for a wheel for a little second window option, and then Jalen Hurts can, as you see here, just run the ball. So the way that they would use him, they would they would use him in quarterback draws, classic zone reads where you're reading a defensive end, you know, just scrambling. He would he would make a living scrambling. And then they had a couple of these fun little play action RPO kind of plays where Jalen Hurts would be the run option. And it's you know, you combine all of this together, and Jalen Hurts was a real factor with his legs because he didn't necessarily rely on him. On, on yeah. using his legs, he was fine sitting in the pocket, but when the opportunity presented itself, he would make you pay. So just all in all, Jalen Hurts' off-script running ability was a huge asset. And the last thing that I really loved about Jalen Hurts, and this is one of my favorite plays that I saw watching his four games or three and a half games on all 22, it's actually a sack that he takes against the Cardinals because – I think this is a really good example of showing how how ahead of his time he is as a post-snap processor. That is my third pro, is that I really like his post-snap processing and his decision-making for a young quarterback that was thrusted into his starting role. One of the big problems that a lot of young quarterbacks have, and we saw with Carson Wentz, was turnovers, trying to force things that aren't there, just trying to make a play. So here's an example. This is third and 15 late in the first quarter. They're down 9 nothing in the football game. There are a lot of young quarterbacks that will just really try and get back in this football game too early. They're going to try and make it all back in one throw. It's 3rd yeah. and 15. We're down two scores. We don't want this game to get away from us. I'm going to make a play here. So the the Eagles on this right side of the screen where Jalen Hurts is going to be reading, they're just going to have dagger calls. I'll draw it up real quick if I can get to my pen. Is it shift X? Yeah. So you're going to have this like over kind of clear out. And then they're trying to hit Alshon on this little dig in this window. And what the Cardinals are going to be playing, shift C to clear, I think. Shift C, bang. Yeah, the Cardinals are just going to be playing man coverage across the board with a robber. So one of these safeties, I believe it's him, is going to come down and be sniffing anything in the middle. And then you have this safety who stays staggered over the top, right? Pretty standard stuff. And what a lot of young quarterbacks expect to happen is this safety to run with this over, right? You're expecting this safety who's kind of just reading the quarterback's eyes and looking for anyone. You're expecting it when a guy crosses his face in his zone for him to follow that guy, which is going to leave this dig with a lot of space in behind. But unsurprisingly, NFL safeties are pretty damn good. You know, they understand that that first guy is a bait and they're looking for this, this dig underneath. So Cardinals defense this is a great call for them. And, and they do a good job of not taking the bait here, right? You see Alshon Jeffrey just basically stops and, and Jalen Hurts immediately says no to this concept. And he ends up taking a sack. But I really like how he says, no, I'm not falling for the bait and take and making this throw, which is a would-be interception. I'm just going to take the ball down and not do anything stupid. Live to fight another play. I'm just going to live to fight yeah. another play. And this reminded me of 
another film analysis that we did earlier in the year with with Sam Darnold. This is the same play and against the same concept. They're just running it from a three by one. So he's going to be this vertical and he's going to be the dagger on the outside. And the Seahawks are in the same coverage. Jets, late in the first quarter, down 7-3. to three. Sam Darnold, you just think about the scenario. You're losing every football game. You're the Jets. You, you haven't won, I don't think, up until this point. You know, you're trying to just make something happen. It's a third and eight. Let, let's get back in this game. And Sam Darnold takes the bait. He thinks, oh, well, Jamal Adams, he's going to run with this over. But he doesn't. He's sniffing the eyes, and he drops a would-be interception. He's lucky that's not Minka Fitzpatrick or Buda Baker because they're taking that to the house. No. Yes, that was a dig on Jamal Adams. So I just really like how Jalen Hurts, just that play alone shows me, well, wow, like really good post-snap decision-making, post-snap processing because a lot of guys in that scenario are going to try and force that football into that into that dig. Yeah, especially from rookies. And I think that's where Jalen Hurts is another pro for him is just – also, like, he shows you in that play is just his maturity level. It's already, like, advanced Off the charts. Player, Off the charts. Players his age. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> I really like that because not only is he a great leader, it's just you. it felt like he was a veteran as a rookie, right? It, it was actually really yeah. interesting to see. And the last thing that I think is really underrated about Jalen Hurts, and I had to put this on here, was that his deep – his deep ball and his deep throwing accuracy, his accuracy on the sidelines is really good. This guy is very good at throwing the football down the field. So you get a, a little example there on a deep out. And then here's a nice little deep ball here from Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts' deep ball is really good. Like, he, yeah, he throws nice dimes. Yeah, he does. And the thing that I like about it is that Alshon Jeffrey was, for the most part, mitigated the entire season until Jalen Hurts was ascended to the starter. And I'm not going to come out here and act like Alshon Jeffrey was an elite receiver last year. I think that Jalen Hurts yeah. made Alshon look a little good. Now you add who I think is one of the top deep ball receivers in Devontae Smith. Now you add him to be that number one player in the offense. Jalen Rager kind of proved on film that he wasn't able to be that alpha number one. He would get bullied at yeah. times. Now you kind of put both of those receivers in roles that really suit them. So I think that that's going to be huge for Jalen Hurts in this offense. So, yeah, just all in all on his pros, you felt like you got a veteran year one. And, like, mentally speaking, he's really ahead of the curve and showed you a lot. Um, he did a really good job of taking care of the football compared to Carson Wentz. I understand he had four interceptions on the stats, but the stats did lie a little bit. Some of those interceptions, they were very circumstantial. Um, other pros, he's a model professional. You finally, you get a full off season with a, with a coaching staff as the starter taking starter reps. And, and up until this point, now. he's had huge linear progression. We were talking before the podcast about every single year, Jalen Hurts has taken massive strides. Why yes. can't that continue to happen now that he is the full-time starter? I am really excited for Jalen Hurts, but now let's get into the con Do you have any other pros, actually, before we move on? I mean, just, like, uh, to touch on that linear thing, going back to his college days, I mean, this is a guy who lost his job to Tua, you know, who went number three overall, and he went from losing his job to finishing second in the Heisman voting, like, a year later. So, number five overall for Tua, by the way. Just, just Number five overall. Sure. Oh, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Herbert went six. Yeah, Herbert yeah. went six. 
But anyways, like still top five pick. But I, it's just the thing is, like I want to see from Jalen with the four games. I hope that wasn't his ceiling already. I hope there's like he could keep breaking through it, and there's more to come on. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's get to the cons here that I have with Jalen Hurts. So. The, the first thing that needs to be said is that this is a COVID year and he was thrown in, thrusted into the starting position, and he clearly did not have a full grasp of the offense. So I'm going to try and not hold that against him too much, and we should expect to see that improve. But with that being said, from the mental aspect of things, there was two things that I did not like about his film. The first is that he would just straight up give up on plays too early and not really get through his entire progression. He has this Texas route to Miles Sanders wide open, and he just turns it down. This is one of those plays that's like you just kind of have to hit this if you want to be an NFL quarterback. You're not really gifted mm-hmm. touchdowns too often. And you're going to say here, oh, well, he ends up making a play and scoring a touchdown. He was out at the five-yard line, so don't give me that. That's a gimme touchdown. You got, And that's not a hard read. That is like the number one or number two read on this play. It's not – anything groundbreaking you need to be able to see that it's right in front of your face before you go and start scrambling get through an extra read just get through your your make sure you're actually doing the play before you give up on it because it's wide open it happens time and time again the other major con i had with with jalen hurts is that he had a tendency to stare at the rush a couple of times and i think that that is kind of part of the reason for that previous con of him giving up on the play is that he's just looking at the rush too much. So this might be reaching at straws a little bit, but I I try to analyze this. So we can see Jalen Hurts' eye. So it starts off on the rush, right? You're supposed to look at the defense. Okay, how many guys are blitzing? He sees, okay, a whole lot of guys are coming. There's Zach Ertz is right here uh, on the right side of the screen. Then he starts looking at Zach Ertz. And you see here, you can see his eyes change planes, either from looking at the rush or looking to Ertz. But I think he was looking at Ertz. Now he's looking at the rush again when his eyes change planes. Then he goes back to looking at Zach Ertz. And then his eyes go back to looking at the rush. Because he sees right here. Yeah, you can see that little head turn. That little mm-hmm. head turn. Now he's looking at number 90, right? Coming around here, his, his guy's getting beat. And he's saying, oh, crap, it's time to dip. And if we go to the actual play, you are going to see Alshon Jeffrey running wide open over the middle for what would have been a massive play. He is wide open. I understand this is tough, right? He's a young quarterback. Obviously, he's going to be a little flustered when you blitz the shit out of him. But he it can't be rush, Zach Ertz, rush, Zach Ertz, rush, dip. It's got to be, let me see the rush. Let me look at Zach Ertz, get to my second read. If it's not there, then I feel the pressure and then dip, right? It can't just be – you can't look at the rush that much. You just can't – you have to feel it. You have to understand, mm-hmm. okay, I see who's coming, see it out of my peripherals, but still get through at least two guys because this is a great play call up here. You have a nice little switch release up at the top, and his guy's going to get – this is unbelievably good leverage on this play. He's coming – he's guarding him from 10 yards away. That is the perfect play call that Doug Peterson, this Eagle staff, put Jalen Hurts into, and he needs to take advantage of it. Okay. 
This is the biggest issue, though, I have with Jalen Hurts. And this is easily something that he must, 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 must fix. His footwork is bad. And it is the mm. number one cause for his accuracy issues. And his accuracy issues are mainly on the easy throws. The short throws over the middle. The little in-rhythm throws. It is 100% due to these two guys right here. So you're going to see he's extremely toesy. He's always on his toes when he's throwing the ball. It is incredibly difficult to be consistently accurate when you're throwing on your toes and your heel clicky. You just can't do it. You can see he's bouncing on his toes. His back foot, is, his cleats are not in the ground. And it leads to so many consistent accuracy issues. There's one example here. We can get to an example here. There's countless examples on the film of this where he's on his toes. He does not, he's not throwing with his cleats fully in the ground. His feet are too close together. His base is weird. And he is incredibly inaccurate because of it. If you don't believe me, we can look at Aaron Rodgers. Look at Aaron Rodgers' feet. All his cleats are in the ground when he throws this football. It's it's fluid. It's clean. Look at his feet. It's just calm. It's cool. All his feet in the ground. Let's look at the other goat. Let's look at Tom Brady. Look at his feet. All his cleats in the ground, not heel clicky. Just all those cleats in the ground. He's consistently accurate over the middle. Tom Brady made a killing on the Patriots, just dinking and dunking the football a lot of time, being consistently accurate. If you want to play in this league, you have to make the easy plays. You have to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it also show, it shows up all over the place. This is easily his number one issue. When he wants to go pivot and play quickly, right, he struggles. He's looking down the field, looking down the field, wants to quickly hit his check down. His feet are all over the place. And he's incredibly inaccurate because of it. He needs to, needs to, needs to work on this. So then the other thing, too, going, this is another, like, footwork-based issue, is that his throwing off platform is not good. And it's slow. That, that's the other problem. It's not, not only is, because it's fine when he's in space, but when he's under pressure and he has guys in his face, his off-platform throwing is just, Re, not really bad, but it, it needs improvement. So here's an example here. It's going to be one of these naked boots. And there's going to be pressure in his face here. He's going to look at the flat, and then he's going to see right there, Zach Ertz is open. Let me rewind this slightly. I want to get the exact moment to when he sees. Right there, he sees exactly, I want to throw this to Ertz. These defenders are five yards away. This is enough space to make this throw. You need to, in one clean motion, Get your hips flipped 180 degrees and flick this ball out quickly. He takes mm -hmm. like two jumps. There's one jump there to get to the sideways position and a second jump to get into his throwing position with a long, windy kind of throw for an incompletion. If this is one of the top quarterbacks in the league, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, one, Matt Stafford, they're in one clean motion getting their hips flipped around and flicking the ball out on an arm angle. Jalen Hurts needs to be able to do that if he wants to compete with these guys because this is a this is a completion that you need in a lot of games. Um, I think this is a second and eight, so you're living to fight another down. But if this is a you know, second and eight versus a first down or a third and eight versus a first down in a close game, 
This get this, you know, they lost this game by a touchdown. This could be the, the difference between a win and a loss, these kinds of plays. Yeah. So then okay, my thing's not working. So yeah, now we just get into an example of his clear off-platform throwing with a guy in his face. Just inconsistent. Throws in the dirt. Right? He he needs to improve on off-platform throws at guys in his face. This is a tough, it's tough, right? This is nitpicking a little bit. But he has he has to improve on it. So here's off platform from in the pocket with a guy in his face. So his right guard on this stunt's gonna get driven back into him. And he underthrows this football. This is a beautiful call from the Eagles staff on this Mills concept. So run this two high safeties. Mills is a really good concept to call against two high safeties. Hey. Come on, give me the pen. There we go. See, so you're gonna get this dig over here, this basic, and a post. And what happens is this safety, especially a lot of the times in cover four, any sort of quads coverage or like cover six, this safety is responsible for this number two guy. So he'll bite forward, and then you have a post on outside leverage, that corner. So it's just naturally a pretty damn good call to run. But because of this pressure in Jalen Hurts' face, He's going to underthrow this football pretty drastically by a couple of yards. And it gives this corner, Patrick Peterson, I believe that is, all pro level corner. He's going to make a play on that ball if you underthrow it that much. Now, this is a tough play. You know, this is not an easy throw by Jalen Hurts. But if you're going to compare him to the top quarterbacks, well, you're going to have to be able to make this throw slightly off platform, a little wonky. This is the NFL right here, the difference between college and the NFL. You got to be able to make throws with guys in your face. And that's where Jalen Hurts has just struggled up until this point. Clearly, you know, those two issues, just his footwork on these short throws and his off-platform throwing mainly with guys in his face. Those are just two major, major issues. The bright side is that he's got a lot of the hard stuff down. You know, the generally speaking, the hard stuff to get down, like we saw with Sam Darnold, is making sure you're not taking the fast enough. Mentally speaking, Jalen Hurts plays fast enough. He just needs to get his feet and his shoulders and his throwing mechanics to play as fast as he mentally processes things. And that just kind of comes with repetition. You could you could teach that. You can hundred yeah. percent teach that. I that's what the thing is, like, you know, with COVID and him not getting fully like first team reps for like and then just being thrown in the fire. Now knowing that he's the number one guy and he's getting all these reps at OTA right now and everything, you know, you would feel like the new staff is really hammering hard on his footwork and that just over time, it hopefully it becomes muscle memory for him. Well, kind of like we were saying earlier, if he keeps progressing at the rate that he has been every year since college, dude, he's going to tackle these minor issues in no time. Like we could yeah, see, I mean, we could see him tackle him next by the start of next season. He might fix a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So, all in all, Jalen Hurts is he a franchise quarterback? Well, that's a tough question to answer because it really does depend on whether or not he can overcome a lot of these minor issues. But if I were the Eagles general manager, if I were Harry Roseman, I agree that they, that I and they made the right decision in passing up on drafting Justin Fields and Mac Jones. I think that was a good move to try and give the Jalen Hurts experiment a run because I think from what we have seen on tape and how much he has improved, that he deserves and is worth 
taking a shot on to be your franchise quarterback. You know, at the end of the day, the co- you still need coaching. And I think that that's the big concern that I have is, is Nick Sirianni and these guys going to be able to put him in a system good enough and show him the steps that he needs to take to really develop him? I don't know. But I think that from what I've seen, Jalen Hurts definitely does have the potential to be a franchise quarterback. He has a lot of the the hard stuff down. Does he have a good deep ball? Does he play fast enough? You know, all the the stuff that he needs to fix. Like, there are a lot of minor issues, but they are minor issues at the end of yeah. the day. And with how much we've seen him improve, I am on the Jalen Hurts bandwagon. I... I I came away from this film analysis much more confident in Jalen Hurts. And I think that my initial analysis on Jalen Hurts is before the pod, but I did not think I would have taken him with a second round pick. I was wrong. Yeah, I definitely think he's worth a shot. The thing is like him being a franchise quarterback, that's me thinking that he's going to be there for the next 10 to 15 years. And, you know, I think he's going to have to prove me wrong a little bit. I don't see it. I think he's a durable starter in the NFL for sure. And it's just for me to label him a franchise quarterback for me. I think he could definitely win you football games. But I'm not sold on him being like a franchise kind of guy yet. The problem with him being a franchise quarterback is that he clearly does not have that elite level arm talent. So he. The it factor. Like, you know, it's just like. I think he has the it factor. I don't think he has the elite level arm talent factor. Like, if you're going to compare him with Sam Darnold, they're almost polar opposites. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, Sam yeah. Darnold has the arm talent, he, he needs what Jalen Hurts has got, right? And that's usually the problem with quarterbacks is that they don't have what Jalen Hurts has. They don't have that cool as a cucumber, you know, mentally speaking, where they're just – when the situation gets tough, he gets better, right? And mm-hmm. he's just a natural leader – and he has that confidence. Like, that's usually what you're trying to get in these guys. And they usually have the arm talent. Jane Hurts is the other way around. But we've seen this work before with guys like a Drew Brees. If he is able to get his technique, he doesn't need to be at the level of Drew Brees because he has that physical talent. I don't think he ever will. But if he is able to just get his, his minor mechanical issues down, or they're actually pretty major mechanical issues, but I think that they are minor to solve. He gets this stuff down. I think he could very well be a franchise quarterback. He's not going to be one of those flashy guys necessarily. Um, he's not going to wow you like the Patrick Mahomes, and maybe he doesn't have that top five potential. But at the end of the day, if you were to ask me, football coach Frank, who would I rather have on my football team to try and win games, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, Jalen Hurts, I'm easily taking Jalen Hurts. And I think I'm yeah. still taking Jalen Hurts over some of the more – established quarterbacks maybe even like a kirk cousins or um uh, kirk cousins i like kirk cousins um even maybe like a jimmy garoppolo like jimmy garoppolo is good but i think that jalen hurts has really got it like that it factor and i think that jalen hurts with the tape that he showed would have been a top 20 selection top 25 selection in the draft yeah (laughs) i think what like what I really liked about Jalen Hurts, and this is kind of more of an off the field thing, is that you know the Eagles locker room was kind of distraught last year and lost like during the season after the whole <laughs> fiasco went down and everything. But like you kind of seen it, like I don't know if you've seen, but like Miles Sanders and other 
players on that team have said, like, hey, listen, like, Jalen Hurts walks in here, and we know he's, like, we know he's the guy. Like, it's just – it's no questions about it because they were asking, like, is Jalen Hurts in the quarterback battle? They were like, hell no. Like, Jalen Hurts is the guy. Like, he's got that natural born leader. So, for him to already gain the trust of that locker room that just seemed very split up at the end of last year, I think that – really uh, points to how great of a, a natural-born leader. You know, like you saw it at Bama and Oklahoma with those two teams there. I mean, you could just kind of rally around, especially like when he got benched in that national championship game. I mean, he's sitting there by to his side, giving little insights here and there. I mean, listen, if that was me, I'm sitting on the bench, bro. Like, I'm just saying, though. That's one thing I do love about I don't, Dude, the thing is, is I you know I came into this. I I liked Jalen Hurts. I thought he was a good guy, but kind of like I think he's an interesting pro- project. I think he's an interesting project, and that's why I would take the shot on it. Because like you know, you see the potential. You like his mental toughness. You just got to work on a few things. Like you could, and you spend a second round pick on him, and that's not like spending like a fifth or sixth. But like you know, like it's not. You didn't spend that high-value pick on a quarterback, right? Like, what if you just kind of hit the jackpot and, like, formulated a good team around him that elevates his playing? I think that's what they're kind of going for. Man, I I just – I really think that, like, if you gave me Jalen Hurts as a coach, I could win football games. And I I think I would easily take Jalen Hurts over some of these more flashy type of prospects, even some of the guys that just got drafted. Like, dude – you know, I, I think there's a difference between when you're talking about, like, at least for me, like Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, because those two guys, it's like, okay, well, they're they're like yeah, number yeah. one overall pick kind of level, just do stuff that no one else can kind of quarterbacks. Yeah. But everyone else, it's like, dude, Jalen Hurts, from what he showed mentally, it's almost like what you want these other guys to have. So I just – I really think that if I were a coach, I could develop him – and win football games with Jalen Hurts as my quarterback. And I think the Eagles fans have a right to be really, really excited for what Jalen Hurts provides to this offense. And, dude, I I really – I Jalen Hurts single-handedly is giving me confidence in this football team, which is weird to say because we've been bashing a lot of the decisions this organization has made. Up in – you know, I, I think that they finally got it right, though, with a lot of their draft picks and, and sticking with Jalen Hurts, not panicking – and saying, hey, let's develop this guy. Let's actually – let's give this a go. I think that was a good decision. Yeah. So, AFC South over-unders. Next segmento. Hope you guys enjoyed the Jalen Hurts analysis. Uh, I know I did, and I thought it was a pretty good one. thought we, we showed some good stuff. So, AFC South over-unders. To be honest, I'm not even prepared for this. Um this one's going to be tough, dude. Like, there's – I mean, it's not tough for, like, two teams, I think. It's just, like, you either have to pick, like, kind of like the Colts or the Titans, right? Yeah, it's the feeling I'm getting as well. So, I'm pulling it up now. Sorry. Okay, let's see. All right, here we go. We got it. The Colts are at – let me – what's the updated one? Okay, okay. Culture at 10. Let's start off with the Colts. Oh, man. Oh, this is a tough one. This is such a tough one. I I legitimately think this is a 10-7 and 7 football team. So I'm kind of asking myself the question, are the Colts more likely to get 11 wins or 9 wins? 
And I was someone that really liked the Colts last year. And I still do really like the Colts. But kind of like what you were saying, what is more likely, the Colts getting 11 wins or the Titans getting 10 wins? I think it's more likely that the Titans get 10 wins. And I'm going to be taking the under on the Colts at 10. I think that there is a higher probability that they get nine wins and and a lot of the moving pieces that they have don't work out, then they do get 11 wins. But I, I just hate betting against that Colts defense. I really, really, really like that Colts defense. I do too. And, like, oh man, like, I don't want to agree with you on this because I know when we talked about it, I was on the Colts. But, like, listen to their schedule right here. On top of them playing Tennessee and the new, like, the new-look Jaguars coming in, they got to play the Bills, Pats, Dolphins, Seahawks, Ravens, and the Bucks. You know? Yikes, dude. <laughs> I, I, like, you know, Dolphins, I may, like, that's even game, but, like, I think you're better than them. But I like the Bills, Patriots, Seahawks with Russ. Maybe you beat them, but I like the Ravens more. I like the Bucks more. That, what are we talking right there? That's one, two. And you know Tennessee and them are going to, like, neither one of them are going to sweep each other. Like, they last year they split, so I would stick with that. I think the Jags could get one, so that's two losses. The Bucks is a loss. Ravens loss. Pats, Bills. And then you got to You also have to remember, Dolphins. too, God, this is going to sound like kind of a meme, but the Texans also play in division really close. Yeah, they do, but that that also That was also with Deshaun Watson. Watson. Yeah. yeah right. Deshaun's going to keep him in the game. The thing I do like about this Colts team and why I think they might can win some of these games, I think they're going to be able to run well. You know, they have a good O-line. You got Taylor. You get Marlon back. Marlon Mack back. Marlon back. Marlon Mack back. So where the question lies more like Wentz doesn't really have a true number one receiver. And is Wentz going to fall? Like, is he going to fix his mechanics? Last year were, were just, you know, like all over the place. I don't know. Like, I don't know how Wentz's confidence is. And based on the schedule, dude, I'm with you. I, I don't know if this team – I think this team is an eight- or nine-win team. I, I love their defense, like you said, but I – I the schedule and I've really I, – like Wentz, I can't really buy into him right now. I hope he proves me wrong, but I don't know. Yeah, this it's a weird – I'm just – I like the Colts. I think they're a good team. I think I just like their team last year a little more than I do this year. Um, mm -hmm. Too many moving pieces for me. Uh, whether you think that Philip Rivers sucked or not, his stats were really good. I thought he played phenomenally well, and the dude's got confidence like no other one in the NFL. The, he yeah, can go in there. He's going to go in there and think he's the best guy on the field, and he's going to talk shit. And I think that's kind of what the Colts needed at quarterback. I'm not sure I'm getting that out of Carson. I like Carson Wentz a lot, but you look at that receiving core, it really feels like for the Colts to go out there and be like a 12-win team, a whole lot of things have to go right for them. I think yeah, they have a I phenomenal roster, and I think that if they make the playoffs, they're going to be a threat. I, I think there's a clear difference, though, oh, between yeah. their I schedule mean, like, being tough and them winning 11 games and them being a, a threatening team. 
I mean, think about it. Like, if their defense is still playing at an elite level and Carson Wentz kind of goes back into form and plays like a 2018, 2019 uh, like Carson Wentz, I mean, that team could be very scary. I, like, and, like, Pittman involved, like, takes that next step and becomes a number one receiver. But that's a lot of what-ifs right there on the offensive end for me. I know Taylor is going to be able to put up yards, but it's just too many moving parts for me and, like, too much trust in players that I don't want to, like, buy into right now. All right, let's go with the other team. Let's go with the Titans, the other favorite in the division. They're at nine and a half. I kind of already tipped my hand. I'm going to take the over on the Titans. I know it's it's a little crazy. A, a lot of people are not on the Titans anymore. I still think that this team is a threat. I can only imagine their defense is going to be better than last year. Their defense was awful last year, and they still hit <laughs> their over. Horrible. They still hit their over in nine wins, and they had one of the worst tackling defenses I think I've ever seen. Um, they they picked up some good players on that defense, so I'm going to assume their defense is a little bit better. Offensively, they lost some talent, but I think that they still have the pieces that make that offense turn, and you get Taylor Lewan back now. Um, who I think is one of the better left tackles in football. You still, dude, Derrick Henry is a freaking animal. Ryan Tannehill, AJ Brown, like, you got maybe they add Julio. Maybe you add Julio in there. Yeah, um, that's the thing. Julio might be going there. I, I, I still think Vrabel's a good coach. He's a player's coach. He's going to get those guys ready to play. That's a team that they show up in big games. Um, they play physical football. And I think that that wins you games. So I'm, I think that there is a good chance that the Titans hit 10 wins. I think it's a better chance. If I'm a gambling man, I'd rather gamble on the Titans hitting 10 wins than the Colts hitting 11. Um, I, I just think it's more of a value play. So I'll take the over on the Titans. I, this was tough for me because I've always been like a kind of a Titan guy ever since that little run they had when they made the AFC championship. I love Rabel. I love Tannehill. I love Derrick Henry. Love A.J. Brown. I think he's a monster. Would love Julio going there. Who did they all add on that defensive end again? They added Bud Dupree. I know they drafted Elijah Molden and um, Mm. Mm. they drafted Caleb Farley, right? Yeah, they did. Picked up Caleb Farley. So they added those three guys. Um, Chris Arnold's still there, too, from LSU. Let me, let me look up their depth chart. I looked it up the other day. I don't know. like, But they're trusting Bud Dupree to take on that number one rushing, and I don't know if Bud, Bud Dupree could take on, be the sole like, I don't know rusher. either, but I think that he'll be pretty damn good against the run at least. They still have Kevin Byer. Oh, they added Janoris Jenkins from New Orleans, which I think is a nice little pickup. Uh, he played good for New Orleans, but... They drafted Rashawn awesome. Weaver as well, Rashad Weaver. Yeah, but didn't he already get in trouble? <laughs> did he? Oh, yeah, I think he did. You're right. Yeah, you're right, you're right. They have a really they good knack it. at doing that. Yeah. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm taking, like, the NFC, like, East approach here. Um I'm going the under with the Titans. I think I would knock them in around an eight Taking or nine the under team. on both those teams, dude. Damn. I am. I am. I, I see this division being kind of a crapshoot this year. I do not love this division. I really don't see. And the thing is, I love Tannehill. But, like, the, the problem is, is just Arthur Smith is gone. And, and I – 
It's like I know who their other OC is coming in. It's knockoff McVay. And <laughs> from that one year he had with the Raiders and they were horrific, like Derek Carr's worst year. And now you come in where Tannehill's like revived his career due to Arthur Smith and Derek Henry like was one of the best running backs in the league. I think they're I think the offense is gonna drop back a little bit because of it. And I think that will really affect their already not so good defense and they'll lose a, some close games. Dude, you're really gonna hate on knockoff McVeigh? Come on, man. Yeah, I am, dude. He is a pretty dang thing to me. Like, who's better? Like, knockoff McVeigh or Arthur Smith or or uh, Nicholas Cage? <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Cage. Dude, yeah. I don't know. I I like knockoff McVeigh, honestly, simply because he's knockoff McVeigh. Like, if he's a Seven Eleven McVeigh, dude, that could get me ten wins. Maybe. You never know. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> Dude, you're, you're just hating. All right, let's go on the Jaguars. Jaguars over under six and a half. This is probably the one that I've been the most torn on, this and the Colts. Because I think that the Jaguars, I would peg him at like six wins. Like six or seven wins. I think it's a perfect yeah. line. Um, I really want to hit the over, though, because I – I really like what the Jaguars have done this offseason. I, I think that the Jaguars, in terms of a team that has made their football team the most better, it's got to be the Jaguars. I think this is oh, a, easily. I think that, honestly, if one of the Titans or the Colts, like let's say their quarterback gets hurt or they just come out and play like the Vikings did last year, dude, this team could be a fringe playoff team. Honestly, I know. I think I'm going to take the over on the Jaguars. I, I, I'm mm. on the Urban Meyer train. I, I'm, dude. I'm hitting the over on the Jaguars. Let's go, Trevor Lawrence, baby. Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is my only over. I mean, this tips my Texans, but like, I think everybody in the world is picking the under for them. But like, yeah, I'm going over as well with you on the Jags. And I, what what I like about the Jags is you're right. Like. Vegas is seeing it too, because like there's no way a one-win team should just get jolted straight to six and a half. You know, like usually they should be around like where the Texans are now. But I thought they drafted very well. You know, they had the big cap space, and I thought they addressed some position positional needs, especially on the defensive side. I don't, I, I like this team a little more than a fringe playoff team. I like this team to compete with the division. Wow! I I, I, I I think this team can. I think T Law and that Urban Meyer staff can go. They have a good offense line. They had two nice running backs over there. You got Leviscus, you got Spoke, DJ Chart. You got weapons, and that defense can just play at like a top fifteen level. I think the offense will be a little more transcendent. And Urban Meyer has never failed where he's gone. I know it's college and it's a little different, but this is still a very young team, so it might have that little college S to it. I think they can flirt and win this division, especially with me being down on the Colts and the Titans. I can see them flirt with like nine nine wins because I, I see this kind of like more of a, like a Cowboys football team division. Like I just think they're all going to beat each other up. Man, I, I just – their roster is, like, surprisingly pretty damn good. Now, the only thing the about thing. it is, like, they're going to have to trust a lot of these rookies to play day one, you know? And no, you yeah, I, I agree with that. And But that's never – that's honestly 
like sometimes it works, you know, like, well, that's the thing is that the, people sometimes forget that one really stud draft class can completely change your team around like 180 yeah. change your team from being like a meddling team or even a bad team to being sick. And I mean, Trevor Lawrence, you just kind of were gift gifted yeah, the gifted number one him. player. Like, Oh, here you go. Like, <laughs> You want the best quarterback prospect in a long time? Well, here he is. Like, yeah, dude, I'll take it. Um, yeah, give, give me the over. Texans, I think we can keep this one pretty short. Uh, under, I think four and a half is like really generous for the, for the Texans. I thought um, they were gonna get like three and a half, honestly. Yeah, Texans. Generally speaking, I don't think you want you should overthink this too much. Dude, like, all the teams that were the lowest over-under win totals last year, they all hit the under. The only one that didn't was the Washington football team, which we both took their mm. over. We both believed in the Washington football team. Yeah, I, I remember picking that. We were just like, we don't know why we're doing this, but it feels like it over. And we were right, dude. Won the division. <laughs> dude, what do you mean? We River, Ron Rivera's there, dude. Ron Rivera. I love Ron Rivera. That guy... He he get, well, he just like brings that team atmosphere, we, man. We thought, uh, yeah, Ron Rivera is a very not good coach, but like we love their defense. Like if they, we thought like if their secondary kept up with their front seven, like yeah, easily. And then it was especially after you got like a very like experienced quarterback, Alex Smith, too, where like they were able to move the ball and hit their stride. But, I mean, that's the football team. The Texans are not going to be moving the football. They don't know who's taking snap. I guess it's Davis Mills. Um, the first oh, pick man. you had in the third that round so this year. <laughs> so yeah, brutal. I'd be a Texans fan. Then you get uh, – then they drafted the receiver from Michigan, I get right? Nico Collins. Yeah, I like Nico, Nico Collins, Collins. But Nico Collins isn't going to save you. Listen, it's a roster full of, like, zero elite talent, right? Like, they don't have, like, besides, like, Laramie Tunsil that really is just, they're looking at him and be like, you screwed our franchise. Like, you gave all our picks to the Dolphins. I I think this team might be the first ever 0-17 team. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I they, they, they have the recipe to be a really trash team. You know, the thing is, is that, Man, I've seen teams. I saw the Browns, who had literally the best left tackle in football. They were trash. You know, cool. You've got oh, yeah. Laramie Tunsil. He's a good build around piece, but he's not. He's not the cherry on top. I've seen teams. I saw the Lions go zero and sixteen with freaking Megatron, the dude who you just throw it up to him and he catches it with three people around him. Yeah. If Nico Collins is Megatron, like. Good for you, but I still don't think he's going to save you. Dude, this team, they have a good linebacker. What's the guy's name? Um, pulling up. I'm pulling up their depth chart right now because he's, like, the only good player on their defense. Yeah, they got Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb. Like, cool. Um, Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham is good. Uh, but other than that, it's like, dude – I'm not sure, like, any of these dudes would start on the Steelers' defense. <laughs> like, honestly. Start on many teams, honestly. Like, this Maybe is... Justin Reed maybe at safety, because I like him too. But it's like, dude, your your front seven is just decimated. Other than Zach Cunningham, I, I don't really think that any of these guys are, are that legit. You can name all these guys to people 
you know, NFL fans. And I guarantee you they won't know what the, what team these guys are on. Like, I don't even think most people can name three players on this Texans defense right now without looking it up. Yeah, I, I, I'm out in the Texans. So I guess to recap real quick, we both took the under on the Colts. I'm surprised by that. That might be one that I changed come the start of the season. I, I'm just ugh, 11 wins. Um, it's tough. You went under on the Titans. I went over on the Titans. We both took the over on the Jags, and we both took the under on the Texans. So there is your AFC South over unders. Um, I'm just kind of. I'm just thinking that this division is going to be horrible. <laughs> For some, I wouldn't reason. be surprised. It's. It does not seem like a division. The only team I feel like that's really trending up right now is the is the Jaguars. Like mm. all these other teams, it could really implode. Let's go to your boys, though, with the Julio Jones trade. We've been beating around the bush a little bit this episode saying, oh, he, he might go to Atlanta. He, or not Atlanta. He might go to Tennessee. I wish you know. he would go to Atlanta. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to get your opinion on it, though, as the big Falcons fan. What is your whole take on this on this Julio Jones situation? Um, You know, the thing, the thing that I felt like – it, it was hard for me to believe is because Arthur Blank made a promise two years ago during his little contract extension when he got signed for three years, 66 mil. He's like, Julio will be a Falcon for life. So I kind of just thought, okay, like uh, until my dying day, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones will be just, you know, on this offense. But I kind of got to agree with Julio here. I Like the thing is like the Falcons – don't have cap and they need to sign these players like they 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 just drafted and you can free up 15 mil just like that and give something back in return you know maybe like a second like they're asking first round doubt they get first round unless a team was really thirsty for julio so i'm fine with that part but now it's just like apparently julio reached out for he was unhappy wanted trade off like wanted to look for a trade a couple months ago and apparently it dates back early 2018 when he, like, sat out of camp because he still hadn't got his a new contract extension. I think that falls back on Dimitrov. Dude's just screwing us over. And after, like, if eventually he got done, he got paid. But I think it was, like, pretty brutal that nobody really talked about because Julio doesn't really show emotion and, like, tweet like some of these other receivers do. A.B., uh, I, like, it's just, and I think it was pretty bad in the, like, in the office, and the relationship was pretty unsolvable after that point, and now you're kind of just seeing it with a new, like, GM, new coach and everything, they're kind of like, hey, man, like, we, you, you're not ours, like, we're going to get rid of you at this point, and I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not surprised with Julio wanting out. It seems like a situation that makes sense to both teams. Plus, you haven't been winning. Like, Well, yeah, that's the big thing. And it's not even that you haven't been winning. It's that every year you thought you were going to be a playoff team. Every mm-hmm. every year for, like, the past three years, all the, you know, all the Falcons fans and even the media is taking the bait saying, like, oh, well, yeah, this team definitely had a rough year last year, but they have the tools. They have what it takes to be a playoff team. And their defense for a large part of it yeah, has just been so bad. Um, I mean, that's horrific. But, like, I think Julio, now that I look at it, has been hitting at it for, like, the past couple years. Like, 
every press conference, Julio will go have nine catches, 120 yards, no touchdowns, right? He's got zero touchdowns through the first eight games. And the dude will ask him, be like, are you disappointed in not scoring? And he would say, I don't care about that. I just want to win. And then you look at the scoreboard and the Falcons are losing 41-21. So I think he was hitting at it all along. I think he wants to go to a contender. And I think the Falcons owe him everything in the world to ship him off to a contender. Um, I I know his two favorites right now are the Titans and Patriots, and I think those would be incredible lands for him right there. You know, like Ryan Tannehill, like I think he's very comparable to Matt Ryan. Uh, you put him alongside also a very talented receiver in A.J. Brown. And the Patriots, well, you know, he'd be the number one, and it's the Patriots. Yeah. You know, whether I, – I saw that people were saying, like, oh, well, he said that, that Matt Ryan's deep ball wore off, but – but Cam Newton and, and Mac Jones, it's like, dude, I, I'm not even sure it's about that. I think that I don't think I don't think Julio's talking crap about that. I don't think Julio would do that. Like, well, I think I mean, like, yeah. it's true. I think that Matt Ryan's deep oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah, like, oh yeah, it for sure has. Like his arm strength has declined. I mean, he's 36 damn years old. He's but, still like, a good quarterback, though. Like, he's still yeah. a good player. He he still has good years in the NFL, but. I mean, at least last season it wasn't on point. Like, I think he has, he's got a point. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that that Julio deserves to be dealt. I, I was kind of thinking that maybe the Colts could be in the running, but because they gave up yeah. those draft picks in the Carson Wentz trade, it's just you don't really have solvent picks to give up in, in next year's draft. So I agree I with you. I think that it's going to be a second-round pick for Julio. Maybe like a combination of like a third and a four or something, and like a combination of picks because a seven, not a seven, a second it might be a little bit steep for a receiver of his age. And like the fact that you have to have like a good 15 mil in cap room to take yeah. him on. And it's just like a, it's a COVID, it's a COVID salary cap. So there's just not a whole lot of teams that have the ability to. So that's just going to kind of drive the mar the demand down with the amount of teams that can do it. So naturally that should drive the price down a little bit. I was thinking something uh, that could be interesting is I see the Packers are like freeing up a little bit of cap space. What is like the Packers make an offer to the Falcons and do give them that first round to you that last little shot just to say, Hey, A-Rod, we got you Julio. Yeah, you know? true. Like, yeah, be could that be a possible thing? Like, I think that would be good. I would hate him going for the Packers because I had to cheer against him. You know, like, I can't have the Packers doing good. But, like, I think that would be interesting. I also saw this trade today. They were saying um, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones to uh, for Aaron Rodgers, Ma Michael Valdez, Scantling, and a fourth-round pick. Imagine that Aaron Rodgers just on the yeah, Falcons. That'd be that's, sick. <laughs> that's not happening. The Falcons don't have the cap to pull that off. Oh yeah, no. But it'd be interesting to see where he goes. I mean, we'll know after June first. Was that next week? Oh, I forgot oh. to change the topic. Um, all right. Well, we can move on anyway. So, I'm like Bo Nix in Auburn. I guess I'll call this. So, Bo Nix, not Bo Nix. Jordan Palmer, one of the most respected quarterback, uh, like, what, what do you call him? Like a quarterback trainer? Um, he, he does, like, a whole lot of work 
with a lot of highly rated prospects. Like he worked with Trevor Lawrence. I know he's worked with like Josh Allen and a whole lot of other guys. He's one of the most respected quarterback trainer guys in, mm. in, in the entire world, right? He gets a yeah. ton of really top end prospects and top end players that work with him. And he's had very good results. Um, he came out and said the other day that he thinks that Bo Nix will be the number one pick in the 2022 NFL draft. So me and Steve, naturally, we, you know, we were talking about it before the pod and just randomly when we're coming up with segments, I said, you know what, dude, screw it. Let's just talk about it on the pod. What do we think of, of Bo Nix and this Auburn team? Because when we were talking about college football not too long ago, um, uh, whether it was on the pod or not, I was thinking that Auburn right now, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated SEC teams. I don't necessarily have a ton of expectations for them, but I do think that they are one of the teams in the SEC that really has the ability to move really far up from their preseason projection. I don't even think they're in the preseason top 25. And you have teams like LSU and Florida over them. And I truly believe that Auburn really could be on the same level of those teams. Um, th- now, this is obviously relying on Bo Nix to really take that next step so that your offense can be a good Bo Nix, like a top 10, top 15 quarterback in college football level Bo Nix, as well as, you know, uh, Tank Bigsby taking a step forward and your defense being pretty good. You know, there are some factors that need to fall into place for for Auburn to be that that like a good SEC team instead of being kind of like that classic, what, six-win team, seven-win, five-win kind of team. Yeah. yeah. Because you know, you got to be good because you're playing in the SEC. You're going to be playing some hard games consistently. So I'm going to throw it to you, Steed. What are you thinking about Auburn? The thing – see, I, it, Jesse Palmer saying that – Jordan Palmer. The, Jordan Palmer being uh, the number uh, – Jesse Palmer is the dude from Florida. Um, <laughs> but him thinking that Bo Nates would be the number one – pick of the draft, you know, I think it's a little asinine. I think Bo Nix is trash. I think it's horrible. <laughs> Not holding back at all. I do. Like, he, I, I, I get it. He shows glimpses of where he's been good. And, like, you see the talent. You're like, okay. But I, I don't – like, the kid's going to literally have to prove it. He's going to be in a quarterback competition this year. They had that Finley kid from LSU – who played a little bit last year, he transferred to Auburn. You're going in with a new coach. This guy didn't didn't recruit Bo Nix, okay? This guy who recruited Bo, Bo Nix was Gus Malzahn, and we remember Gus Malzahn was in love with Bo Nix because Bo Nix went to all of his camps, and it's just like was like family, friends, and stuff, was close with his dad's, like knew Bo Nix since he was like a little kid and stuff. I think a little bit of daddy ball going on there. But um, I I think that's what happened. Like I mean, they they had they had some. I mean, last season they play, they were like six and five. But the season before, when they had Derrick Brown and all of them, I mean, they were a good team. They were eight. Oh, and four, Nix so was like. trash that year. I'll give you that. Yeah, but like terrible. that, they were holding them back that year. And, and I I can't give them too much credit because he's a true freshman playing the SEC West. That's got to be tough, but. He didn't show any leap forward next year where I'm expecting it. He's got to have some confidence, you know, like you're playing for Auburn, like second year starting, like when are you going to take the 
and you just you played the worst game I've ever seen a quarterback play against a trash South Carolina team that's ranked one thirty in the in the country in defense. I like and it is, and then he got just throttled against Georgia, which is a good defense, and Bama beat him up because, and that's a really good defense, and A and M destroyed him. Good, and they were all right defense last year. So against the good teams, he hasn't really proved anything, especially last year when the talent dropped off. I'm very interested in seeing if he, like, I don't know. I, I feel like he's like the college, like how Mitchell Trubisky played in the NFL. It just kind of, that's how Bo Nix feels like to me. It's just like you see the talent there, but, like, it's just something holding him back where you can't really trust him too much, you know? I almost feel like he's he's everything that was wrong with Will Greer. Is very apparent yeah. in Bonix. Like, I mean, no, at least I we're good. We're good. We're keeping a game. The thing is with Bo Nix, though, is that the dude has every single tool in the toolbox to be a really top tier college quarterback and even a top tier NFL prospect, which is why mm-hmm. I still have hope in him. And, you know, this is the big jump that a lot of quarterbacks have made in the past. You're, you're freshman and sophomore, you struggled, but junior year and senior well, year. It's time to shine. All of a sudden, the flip switches, you know, you're not an underclassman anymore. You know the biz. You've been around. You're more comfortable. So I'm not going to count Bo Nix out like you are. Um, I obviously not really count him out. He's just going to have to show me. Yeah, he's going to have to show me. But I think that he he can do it. He, He can do it, especially if he's working with Jordan Palmer and Jordan Palmer cleans him up. You get a coaching staff. That, that really tailors an offense to him. And, and but didn't Shea Patterson work with Jordan Palmer? Do I remember that correct? And Shea Patterson was pretty, like, just ass. Like yeah, he, true. I mean, obviously, Jordan Palmer's not throwing the ball for him, so he's got to do a lot of the work. I he's mean, yeah, play. true, true. Yeah, and, like, it's true. not arm talent and stuff that's the problem with Bo Nix. It's, like, everything else. Um, but it just – in terms of pure talent, he's got the tools. So – just just if he could put it together and we've seen it before you know because quarterback is a weird position where you can flip the switch almost and you can go from looking like the worst guy in the league to all of a sudden going and playing really well and I think that's what something that fans kind of struggle to get behind because they're always like oh dude well how was how was this guy not looked at at all and then all of a sudden he's a top NFL prospect it's like because dude he flipped the switch he always had the talent this guy always had the talent but he finally put it together. He's confident. He, he's getting it going. He's got the stuff, right? It happens. Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, Matt Jones, yeah. like those guys. <laughs> um, I think people shit on those guys a little bit too much, too. I, I don't really think – like Joe Burrow, for example, he did not come out of nowhere. You know, if you watch college football a lot, like you knew who Joe Burrow was probably. He, he started for LSU. It's not like he started for a small school. He was one of the top recruits out of Ohio. It, it's not like Joe Burrow was in – was like a zero star walk on that just all of a sudden started lighting yeah. it up, you know, like a Baker. Yeah, I think Baker Mayfield is a is a better example of a dude who legitimately came out of nowhere and lit it up and started playing well, right? Like, you know, Joe Burrow is a pretty damn sought after prospect. Um, besides the point, I, I'm interested in this Auburn team. I I'm gonna have to see it to believe it with them. I'm not gonna bet on them or anything preseason and they start off their schedule pretty damn easy so if they drop one of those games oh, yeah. it's gonna be kind of concerning but 
you know, you can easily see this team before now. Um, they play they play Akron and they play Alabama State. The big kicker is when they play Penn State, and I yeah. I, I believe that game's at Penn State. I hold on, let me check. That could be a little bit of, a bit of a bait it, though, because it, me and you are both in the camp that we don't think I, that Penn I, State's going to be I, all that good last, next I'm year. Out on Penn State, but you know they're going to wide out that stadium, and let let's just say you know like. Bo Nix is probably going to play the first half of the first two games, right? Like, they're going to be up 28 nothing in the first quarter. It's going to be a blowout, and then they're going to shuffle around three or four quarterbacks. You get Bo Nix, and it's going to be a night game, and it gets a little loud in Penn State. Penn State's done it before. Like, you could kind of see him choke under the pressure there. Like, a big stage game with a lot of fans in there. I just don't know if Bo Nix – like, that's where I, Bo Nix would earn my trust is week three against Penn State. If he goes in there and tears him up, I don't think Penn State's going to be good. I'm just speaking – that would be a, a huge confidence booster for me and I think for Bo Nix that I could, like, kind of start to believe in him. Yeah, yeah, Um I don't know. I just think that – man, I, I really struggle to see – LSU on a much higher pedestal than a team like Auburn, you know, uh, and even Florida to us. I think Florida's coaching staff is better than both LSU and Auburn, which does give them an advantage. But you think about how much they lost. Their defense was trash last year. And now you yeah, lose crucial hard, offensive pieces that it's going to be tough to replace. I mean, whether you like Kyle Trask or not, you can't, you can't deny the fact that he was a phenomenal yeah. college quarterback. But the thing is, like, yeah, I, Emory Jones for them is going to have to be huge or whoever their backup is right now. But the thing about college is, like, these programs, they're getting top 15, top 10 classes. So, like, it's just kind of like you have to have that next up mentality. And, like, you're not going to replace a Kyle Pitts, right? You're not going to do that. There's no way they have two Kyle Pitts on their team. Like, <laughs> like Unless, like, Florida just has something in the water down there in Gainesville, and they just have yeah, a bunch they, of Yeah, they got, like, Pitts. a secret lab where they're just, like, making these superstar tight ends. <laughs> but, like, you know, I think Tony's easily replaceable. I, and yeah. Grimes, I mean, he went undrafted. He's easily replaceable. I think the defense would get better for them. But for Auburn, going back to them, I think the defense is going to be fine. They had a lot of re- – returning starters come back for that defense. I, I'm not worried about the defense. I'm And I'm not worried about the rushing offense because you and me agree, like, take Bisbee, get ready in a year because he'll be the number one running back off the board easily. So I would say... 2023 he will be. Yeah, yeah, in two years, I guess. Um, they don't have receiving core. Well, I mean, they do have they one, lost but they lost, all, they lost all three starting receivers. And for a quarterback... That played, that struggled with these three receivers. Now has to get this new connection with three new guys. And I like he's definitely thrown to these guys before, but like in a game like kind of sets every single down. I think that's going to be tough. Now easily can find it in these first two games. I mean, you're pretty much playing high school teams out there against Akron and Alabama State. It doesn't really matter, but. You know, like you lose every single receiver, it's going to be tough. Well, yeah, that that's the thing that we both agree on is that this is why Bo Nix needs to take that next step is that if you want to beat Georgia or one of those Georgia-esque teams, 
you're going to have to be able to do more than run the football because Georgia is good enough and they're going to be stacked enough up front on their defense that they will shut down any team's running game. That's made that aside from like Alabama, because Alabama has got first round picks on every single offensive line spot and running back. Right. Um, Aside from that, it's like, dude, Georgia's going to probably win that battle up front, especially if you just have an average offensive line group. That's just where you come into the tiers of the SEC. Like Auburn falls into a mixture of teams where they probably fall in just a little below Florida, but like I would put, I put them like somewhere around Ole Miss and LSU. You know, pick your poison with those teams. You know, like it's just it's kind of the same story. Like uh, Ole Miss and Auburn both have very talented quarterbacks, but they got to take the next step for that team to really be good. Uh, Auburn probably has a better defense than Ole Miss, but I know Ole Miss's offense can put up points. And I think that's like the same tier. Like if you put in all the SEC teams, like it goes probably Bama, Georgia, A&M, Florida, and then it's a little bit of a drop off. And then I think that's when you get into the seven and eight win teams of an Ole Miss, Auburn, and LSU. No, yeah, I agree. And and the only way out of that is how a good quarterback play. And it again, it falls on Bo Nix, and it, I know Finley just transferred. I Finley played a little bit against us. That's the only time I've seen him play for LSU. I mean, was it very impressive, especially because you're playing a middle school defense out there? Like, I I, I could run out there and throw 400 yards. I'm pretty sure, left-handed. But um, yeah, as long as you're not throwing it to JC Horn, you're probably doing pretty well. Like, <laughs> yeah, like. But what I like about him transferring that, and because of the new coach, I don't think the job's safe. So I think he kind of has like that drive where there is a true kind of like quarterback. There's a little heat on him. He knows that. So this is where you figure out who Bo Nix is. And they they have to already get, have a kind of an idea of it because he has like a guy bearing down on his neck just transferred coming in. He's got to, Take this is where you want to figure out what kind of player he is. Like, hey man, this spot's not yours. You got to earn this. Like, like you're a freshman all over again. Like, I I don't give a hell of what Malzahn was doing over here. We're gonna do what we did at Boise State. Like, here we go. Yeah, maybe it's just my my love for Kellen Mond, but I think that Bo Nix could easily turn a Kellen Mond here, where his freshman and sophomore year he just looks so trash and so underdeveloped, but he has the talent, right? And then junior year, he kind of just shows a new – turns a new leaf. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he's a good quarterback and he's keeping you in football games. And yeah. he's not perfect, but he's a damn good player. Um, That's the uh, thing, maybe, though. Maybe. I don't know, though. Because you're right. You wanna... The thing is, he has no Jimbo Fisher. He's he, Yeah. Auburn doesn't it, have a Jimbo. But the, the, thing is, the, the thing is, Jimbo had that pedigree coming in. Like, I – Jimbo had coached at Florida State for years, and Florida State had been a powerhouse. Like, I mean, before Clemson rose up, it was Florida State. I mean, we're talking Jameis Winston. We're talking about elite program. Like, Jimbo, top five head coach. We don't know about this Boise State. Like, we do know about him because Boise State has been good in his seven-year tenure. But, like, he's not a big name like Jimbo. This could easily be a great hire for Auburn where like, you know, they found this guy for a little cheaper than what Jimbo's the Jimbo's of the world are going for. I'm just saying if he, if he trained, if 
Bo Nix transfers and like kind of falls into that Kellamon mix where like he takes that next level. I would then like the teams are going to succeed, and I would look a lot into the coach. Like I would look a lot into Jimbo Fisher's success on why these quarterbacks change like that. But I don't know. I just you look at the gambling lines. I think you look at the consensus. Um, I think that Auburn is being a little too discounted. I, I'm not. I think like, obviously too. we're going to have to see it to believe it, and and things can change wildly, but. You just look at a team that has the potential to kind of jump where they're at right now, especially with with the SEC, how it's laying out right now. I'm not sure how legit these teams like Florida, LSU, and even Georgia to a certain extent. I'm not saying that I don't think Georgia is going to be a legit team, but if you're going to ask me, is Georgia going to jump into that top five team in college football category, I'm probably going to say no. Um, I'm not saying yeah. that Auburn is, but you're telling me that Auburn, if they if they do have a good team and Auburn jumps into like a top 15, top 20, 20 team in football, that they can't possibly beat a Georgia. Oh, yeah. No, they could be – they have the talent to hang in with everybody in the SEC. and it, It's not that. It may be not as deep as these teams. Like, like you would really need a good – plan of attack but like they could hang with them and again it comes down with quarterback play i had a question to ask for you though if you had it they play today and the game's in lsu this year auburn or lsu who you taking auburn i'm taking auburn you you want to know what something about this it's in lsu auburn hasn't won i didn't know this auburn hasn't won a death valley since 1999 yeah, not until Tank Bigsby runs all over that LSU defense. They have. I mean, Auburn is yeah, like, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I'm not fighting you on this. Like they could easily do. I'm just, I'm just more amazed that it's been that many years. Like they, I mean, they won a, a ring with Cam Newton. They, they've yeah. been to another national championship. I guess that's when they were playing them at home. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just playing them at home. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, here's the thing, kind of bringing up some of those good Auburn teams. It seems like every single year that Auburn has a legit offense, they are a really legit team. Oh, yeah. I think it's it, just to me, with Tank Bigsby, and I don't they love Bo Nix, but like, fuck, maybe you get Bo Nix, like, assuming that Bo Nix becomes like a, a halfway decent quarterback. Like, I feel like, uh, yeah, you need receivers, but you get, hopefully you get some receivers. Nah. I, I think they do, like, Auburn, in their really good runs, they've had, like, kind of these – like, the one receiver I can name from Auburn with these really good teams and, like, you should kind of know, Sammy Coates, you know? Yeah. Like, they don't really have these elite receiver guys, you know? Like, they never – they been speedy guys, but they've always been a little different because, I mean, they had Cam and what was his name, Nick Marshall. But out of those teams, like, they had good – running back play like cam had michael dwyer marshall had um what you but they've had, had good running backs. Um, yeah, they've Trey, had yeah, Trey, level yeah. Running game. but look at the running backs they've had you had trey mason when they were really good you had carry on johnson when you're good i mean Listen, cam newton's they, basically a running back like <laughs> yeah i mean they had michael dwyer at the time michael dwyer was a very solid prospect he just got into some trouble but like Tate Bixby is a better running back than all three of them. Like, he just is. Like, 
like prospect and just how it is like coming in, like he is better than them. So they got that part. They're getting to the part where they don't know who their receivers are. That's what Auburn likes to do, dude. They don't know. <laughs> they don't like the receivers. Now it just falls on Bo Nix to play like play this like just Cam and them did. Auburn better with worse great. receivers. Auburn is a better team with worse receivers. <laughs> I, I think they are. It, like, <laughs> look at Jarrett Stidham. I mean, like, the year they did really well with Jarrett Stidham lost to UGA, and, of course, they lost to UCF in the Peach Bowl. But, I mean, that was the real natty, natty champion that year. It, it's just – Bodnick's yeah, the UCF, the self-proclaimed national champion. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just speaking on, like, the success of Auburn because, obviously, like, Bo Nix would have to play a lot better to be, like, Jordan Palmer saying he's number one. But you don't have to play, like, a number one – like, if Bo Nix plays, like, a number one overall pick next year, then I would say Auburn is definitely going to be in the college football playoff hunt, okay? But if he played at a Jarrett Stidham level, I mean, hey, you're getting a – Nine and three team, ten and two team. That, see, uh, that's what I'm saying is that, like, for what for where they are, like in terms of just from like looking at the gambling lines. I don't really know. I haven't talked to a bunch of college football guys. I don't know how they're feeling on Auburn, but like when you look at where they are at right now in the projected standings of the SEC, I just think that they're a little bit too low for what they actually could be. I'm not expecting anything, but dude, this team has what it takes. From the outside perspective, I, I feel like they have what it takes to be one of those good level Auburn teams, to be a nine and three team, and and be ranked in the top twenty five, and be like what the fourth or like the fourth best SEC team, the third best SEC team. I think that they could easily do that. Yeah, they're not going to yeah. go dethrone Alabama, and they will. They'll probably lose to Georgia, but you're telling me they can't be better than Florida. You're telling me they can't be better than even maybe an A&M? Yeah, it's a stretch, but fuck, dude. I don't know. I just – A&M might maybe switch A&M and Georgia around. Maybe maybe switch those two teams around. <laughs> I don't know. I like them to play close in a lot of games this year, maybe not Georgia. They do have the benefit of the doubt where they don't have to play uh, very hard teams. I mean – Looking at the player, like who they play in the East besides Georgia, where I mean, they got South Carolina. I mean, that should be okay. an easy, yeah, that should be an easy <laughs> win. So, you're there. I'd like this team to go eight and four. I think that's where I would lock them in up. I would say eight and four losses to Georgia, Bama, AM, right? Those three. Uh, and this is just how I'm like I'm saying if I don't get a really good bow next, I, I still like them. I think I like them to lose to Ole Miss. I think I, I would buy into Ole Miss more than Auburn. Yeah, Ole Miss is one of those teams. It's just they I, I feel like Ole Miss can beat anyone and they can lose to anyone. But you're not saying see here's the thing, like I'd be more scared of losing to LSU than I think I would at Ole Miss because you're getting you're getting Auburn at home against Ole Miss, but you're playing at LSU. I think that that's – I'm yeah, more scared of the LSU too. game. Yeah, maybe flip those two. Especially now knowing that they haven't won since 1999. But the thing is, I think Auburn's a team that's really good enough that they can shock – like, they can beat a and like, like, I love A&M, and I think they're ready to take that next step. But let's just say this new quarterback, last name King, right? 
really high subtle prospect. He doesn't turn out to be like all that great. And he's kind of like a shaky kind of guy. Like he plays good one week, but not the next. If you catch him on an off day, like you can be at A&M. On that note, I think we're going to end it here. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. If you're watching on the tube, hit us with a juicy sub. We'd really appreciate it. If you're watching on the Twitch, hit us with a follow. Peace out.